0: Hello, welcome to Desert Island Books, a podcast about reading. I'm your host and resident librarian, Natalie Mason, from the Melbourne Library Service. Joining me is one special guest who will share their top three all-time favourite books. Jane Harper was born in Manchester in the UK and moved to Australia with her family at age eight. After completing a journalism qualification, she worked at newspapers in the UK and then back again in Australia in Geelong and Melbourne. In 2014, Jane submitted a short story, which was one of 12 chosen for the Big Issues annual Fiction Edition. That inspired her to pursue creative writing more seriously, and that year she applied for an online writing course. She was accepted into the course with a submission for the book that would eventually become the best-selling novel, The Dry. Jane followed the dry with 2017's Force of Nature and both are bestsellers and brilliant gripping reads that have kept me up way past my bedtime. Welcome to your desert island, Jane. Oh, thank you for having me. How's the weather? It's great. It's better, better hidden is it is outside, I think. Marvellous. Good. As long as you're comfortable, I put some deck chairs out for you to relax in, small little bookshelf over by the side. Um, can I ask you a question? Yes. I'd hope so actually. <laughs> <laughs> I read on Twitter that you wrote parts of the dry at City Library and I was just wondering, was I working that day and did I shape the book at all?
1: Oh, I think I think absolutely everybody in that library helped shape the book. Yeah, you know, I, I used to um I used to work at the Herald Sun based in South Bank in Melbourne and um so sometimes like at lunchtime or after work I used to I used to always love going to the City Library and mm. um sometimes I get a get a, a bit of a bit of writing done while I was there. So it was great to kind of, yeah, you know, people watch and yeah, you never know what you're going to pick up in those kind of situations.
0: Yeah, in libraries in particular. <laughs> How amazing to think that books are written and not just read
1: in libraries. Mm. I love that
0: idea so much.
1: I think they're really inspiring. I think this being there among all the books that have, you know, been published, I think it can be, you know, a real motivating factor.
0: Mm, of course. I never thought of that way. <laughs> I always think of it as a reader, but to think of it as a writer, it's a whole other mind-expanding kind of place to be in. And inspiring too, you're right. Mm. Never thought about that. (laughs) Good grief. Shall we talk about reading? Yes. Is that your favourite thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. Jane, could you please reveal
1: the title and author of book one? Sure, so my first book that I've chosen is um, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, um, which was a, a huge global success. I'm sure a lot of listeners will have, have read it. Um, but it's one that, um, yeah, ever since I read it, I, I still to this day still, you know, think about it from time to time and I absolutely loved it.
0: Mm. It's one of those books that um, flips flips you as a reader because you think you know what's going on, but actually you have no idea.
1: Mm. So I think, you know, and I still... Um, I still remember when I first read it. I was actually um, on a a long-haul flight. I was flying back to the UK to visit my family. And um, I had it in my bag. And it was when it had come out, but a a lot of the – it was quite new. And I hadn't actually really heard a lot of the hype or conversation around it. So I came to it quite fresh. And I remember sort of starting it on this flight and just – finishing it you know, start to finish like you do on a plane sometimes in one go and it completely works on me everything like the twists the characters the whole thing just sucked me in and and I remember um afterwards I hadn't at that stage even you know the dry was not even a twinkle in my eye but I remember thinking you know I would love to write a book that kept someone entertained for that long on a plane that would be the, the book I would love to write and and I still when I was writing the dry, I actually did think back to that moment and think, how can I, you know, what can, what can I learn from that experience and try and put it into my own work?
0: Mm. And what, how do you describe that feeling of being so immersed in something, like it's it's like compels you to the end. How was it done?
1: Yeah, I think it... I mean, for me, the things that really worked were um, the fact that, um, you know, it was quite Mm -hmm. fast-paced. I think it had a lot of secrets right from the start. You know, right from the start, you're not sure who you can trust in the the narrative. Um, And I think, you know, you've got to have that kind of... I think you've got to have that kind of plot that pulls people in. I mean, strong characters are great, but I think you've got to have that kind of... um, you yeah, what's happening and what's going to happen next element that really draws people through. And I think then to have, you know, a twist, you know, no spoilers, but a twist like this, um, like Gone Girl does, mm. I think is... is- for me, the reason why it has been so hugely successful.
0: So Gillian Flynn, the author, also wrote the screenplay for the film and I went into that film watching it knowing the twist and knowing what was happening and I knew what was going to happen before it was even, you know, hinted at on screen. And I wonder sometimes um obviously you must read the book first that's a rule yeah right
1: that's that that's law I think that's law (laughs)
0: correct yes that's law sorry my mistake it is law um but what's that feeling like going into a a kind of adaptation of a book when you know all of the twists and turns
1: yeah I mean I I enjoyed the film I thought it was a a good um you know I thought it was a good adaptation actually the book and I thought it was you know, um, faithful to it and I thought it did bring out a lot of the, um, you know, the the good, the sort of the elements that often get lost in, in um, from, you know, when it goes from book to movie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I did still enjoy it, even knowing what, what was going to happen, I still did enjoy the um, the film element. But I think, you know, I mean, the books are always better, aren't they? Yes. It, it's just, you know, it, it, it just, there's so much you can do with a book. There's so much of the, the backstory and things that you just can't, you know, possibly capture in an hour and a half on screen, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think having the author write the screenplay, although they're very different styles of writing, I think that having the author write the screenplay means that the the – truth in the book becomes part of the film adaptation as opposed to, oh, these are the best bits of the story, let's just tie them together and see, you know, or change it. There's plenty of film... Out- in, fact, in fact, there are film adaptations of the rest of the books that we'll be talking about today and they're all a little bit different. But I think for Gone Girl, what made it work so much is is having the author as part of, you know, having the author as the writer of the film.
1: Yeah, I I think I would agree actually with that because I think she probably was able to bring out the things that she felt were most important to us and the things that spoke to her most about the story, I I suppose.
0: Yeah, and at the times that were right too because books books that are this gripping and this compelling are all about timing Mm. and about what's revealed at what point and that's what kind of keeps you desperate to get to the end to know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brilliant choice <laughs> Thank Absolutely you Absolutely <laughs> brilliant choice But well, a lot
1: of Obviously yeah, millions of readers Agree with it. It's it been such a huge success And um, yeah I'm not surprised I think it's um, Yeah She's done a fantastic job With it
0: hmm. It's a book that Sort of sticks Yeah them, it really
1: does it? Yeah Yeah
0: Well now I'm very curious And we must discuss The next one Could you please Reveal the title And author of book two
1: Yes. Yeah, so book two is um, Lee Child and his first Jack Reacher novel, which was Killing Floor, um, which was a first in what is now a, I think, 22 part series, I think. Sounds so, about right. <laughs> yeah, it's been going for years and years. I think this first one was published in the, in the late 90s. And um, it, again, that's just become a, an absolute... Um, global Mm. smash hit there's probably you can probably sense a theme in my three (laughs) books here I do I'm a bit of a sucker for a blockbuster but um, yeah and I you know I love the series I you know, I've I've read them all, um, but I do think this first one, Killing Floor, when we first get introduced to Jack Reacher as a character, um, still remains um, possibly my favourite of of all 22, I think.
0: Would you be so kind as to read the first couple of paragraphs? I think what... So I'd never read a Lee Child, I must admit, until you <laughs> convinced me that I ought to. <laughs> and, in, you know, in due diligence, doing my research and preparation for our recording today, I wanted to get into as much of one novel as I could, and you recommended the first chapter. Just have a read of that, Natalie, and see how you go. And I was stunned stuck in the first uh, like I must have got to chapter four before I realized I'd read more than I needed to but I couldn't get out of it I feel like it's I've sat in a bowl of treacle and I'm stuck now yeah I can't quite extricate myself from from Mr. Reacher I am enthralled in these books that I never assumed
1: I would like do you know it's absolutely that is um absolutely sort of classic Lee Child's um territory I think and I think if you enjoyed the first one you know, you'll, you'll love them all. Oh, I mean, I've already read the, the second yeah. and the
0: third's on reserve for me. I am now an, an a official. A convert.
1: Yeah, co- yeah. correct. <laughs> you have converted me to Lee Child. I think, um, actually, um, if you don't mind, I might read the the, the final paragraph of the first chapter of because course. that is actually my favourite bit of the book. Yes, please. Um, so just to give people an idea. So what's, what it is, it opens up with Jack Reacher, who is um, this six-foot-five, huge, you know, sort of muscly guy. Um, he's a... Um, he's in a a diner in small town America and he's the only sort of stranger in town. And these two police officers come in to, um, arrest him because there's been a murder in town and he being the only stranger in a small town is the obvious suspect. So, um, yeah. and, And in classic sort of Jack Reacher style, he, he can see, he can see what, he can see what they're thinking and he can sort of anticipate what they're going to do. And sure enough, they do arrest him. Um, and they're taking him to the police station. But I'll just read you the final paragraph of that chapter if I, if I could. Absolutely. So, so Stevenson. Stevenson's one of the police officers. Stevenson still stared at me as the car slowed to a yaw on the approach to the station house, a wide semicircle of driveway. I read on a low masonry sign, Margrave Police Headquarters. I thought, should I be worried? I was under arrest in a town where I'd never been before, apparently for murder. But I knew two things. First, they couldn't prove something had happened if it hadn't happened. And second, I hadn't killed anybody, not in their town, and not for a long time anyway. <laughs> and I love that. I love that. <laughs> like, just the fact, that the way it sums up in just a few words, the fact this is like a man with a past and, you know, and, and you, you, you know, he's obviously the protagonist, but, you know, what what is his story? You know, and the whole book, I think, is just... Um, Gives you those little cliffhangers the whole time. I think it's beautifully done. It's it's an absolute triumph. I love
0: that Jack Reacher is the narrator because we see everything through his brain and through his eyes and through his experiences. And so he assesses situations. There's something in that first chapter when the police are entering the diner and he gives a summary of all of their positions, all of the guns they have and what what tactical errors they're making because the rifle ought to be in the doorway and then the person in that because that gun has this range and the amount of data and information which I kind of enjoy a lot as a mm. librarian, like all of that information that I'd not know otherwise, I'm putting it all together myself and I'm thinking he's doing my job for me. He, like he's, he's analysing everything that's going on. Um, and laying it out, and it's completely
1: engaging. Yeah, absolutely. I think this style of writing as well. It's so it's deceptively simple. You know, mm-hmm. it's very clear, very crisp, short sentences. You you can visualize it immediately. There's no there's no um, obvious sort of undertone. Um, but I think it's so clever. I mean, it's actually very hard to write as simply as that and get across. You know, your ideas and keep it engaging. And um, there's a real skill in that. And he absolutely nails it every time. And I think that's part of the. The reason why people just get sucked in, and the and these Jack Reacher is such a great character. He's he's a um, he's a former military police officer, so he has this mm. training, and he has these sort of personal skills that he, um, you know, can put to use when needed. Really, and I, I think one the thing about the series is that every story is very much the same in 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 some way, in that he sees Jack Reacher come to some sort of um. Situation where he's just minding his own business, but you know, a man gets sucked into you writing know, wrongs when he sees them, and yep. and um and sure enough, he he um he always does, usually with a uh, a nice looking lady by his side. Which <laughs>
0: there is a surprising amount of romance in yeah. uh, in the two that I've read. Of he, the, I've got twenty to go, but you know, there's always a very conveniently placed love interest
1: that doesn't change. There's <laughs>
0: In the just... second one, I couldn't believe this. In the second one, he, he helped a woman who was on a crutch and having a bit of a hard time. She dropped her dry cleaning. So he picked it up for her and took her, you know, opened the door of the shop and walked down onto the street with her. The two of them get immediately kidnapped. And then the entire 600-page book is how he helps her escape
1: that's true and women also they usually conveniently have some skills of their own so they often actually undercover officers themselves exactly or right. they you know just sort of real like tough country girls who can handle a rifle you know so they're usually um of, you know surprising <laughs> maybe surprising sort of set of skills to to just come you know by coincidence um join up with him but um yeah uh, they, you know, do get a, a good kind of role in it themselves but uh yeah he's he's lucky with his um you know Very his lucky. sidekick that he comes across, but again, as part of the fun of the series, I think you know you know yes. exactly what you're getting into, and you know if you like, like I said, if you like the first one, you love them all. You know it, he's he's managed to kind of keep it going for the whole series, I think.
0: Yeah. So, um, how does Jack Reacher help you in a sort of broader sense in your life? Do you go back to him as a palate cleanser between reading other things, or are you constantly rereading the series from beginning to end, or do you anticipate the next? Like, tell me about Jack Reacher um, and how he helps yeah, you.
1: Yeah, I do I do go back to them, you know, from time to time, actually. And there's enough that you can, you know, you can go back after a few years and you maybe don't remember, you know, remember them as well as you did the first time you, you read them. And I, I enjoyed them on things like, you know, I'm on holiday or, yeah, on the mm-hmm. plane or um, or just – I think it's, again, there's a, there's a lot of comfort in knowing exactly what you're going to get. You know, sometimes you just, you know, you just need to dip into something where you, you know, you know what's going you know, what's, you're in, what's in store really. And, um, yeah, like you said, a bit of a palate cleanser. Maybe you've, you've read something maybe a bit disturbing or um, it's quite nice to just come back and, you know, you're in Jack Reacher's world and everything's going to be okay. It's a
0: comfort read. Yeah. Help me understand why I find it so compelling when the violence is so brutal. Do you have any yeah, <laughs> insight know. for me? Because he can kill many humans in a short space of time and describe exactly how he does it and mm. where the bones crack and it's just all very...
1: I think for me it's, um, and this is actually true of a lot of novels, I, I, I don't mind violence when it's not lingered upon. Mm. And I think when it's not, um, when it is actually part of the plot. I mean, if he goes into a house full of you know, bad guys um, and he takes them out, it's sort of necessary for, I guess, the, you, you know, justice to be done. Yes. Um, and, and for the plot to move on to the next point yeah if and he's killed by one of them then it's a very short story that's right and i think also the way um like i said he does sort of describe it but i think it's more in a quite a mechanical way it is. and it's more it's sort of to show i think his skills rather than right you know, the pain or suffering being inflicted whereas i can't i can't stand books where that is um glorified yeah or you know it's a bit of voyeuristic attitude towards it i mean i don't i don't mind it if he just you know breaks the guy's neck and moves on with his life you know but it's when it's sort of drawn out and um, we're forced to kind of really examine it I I don't have any time for those kind of books myself it's Mm. just my own personal taste
0: yeah I think I have to agree with you and maybe that is why I'm able to move through it because he does find himself suddenly in a clearing and he's surrounded by six men with rifles and he's you know, he's he's got five bullets in his gun and he's mechanically thinking, okay, well, if I this, that and the other and this angle and the, this sunlight and, you know, thinking about all of the, you know, the data and information of the situation. And then, you know, he dispenses of those six people and then he can get to the next bit where he's going to save the...
1: You know, whoever's in distress. And I think also, and some people might slightly roll their eyes at this, but um I actually think it's a real strength in the books in that um it's it's very black and white in Reach's world. You know, mm. there's no there's no shades of grey. I mean, he is the good guy, those guys are the bad guys, That's and it. and you know, you want him to you want him to triumph. And there's no real yeah, ambiguity about that. Um which I think makes it easier as well. Yeah,
0: you're right about that. He's very much um, an eye for an eye kind of justice even though he's a vigilante, Mm. Um, and he's ex-military, professionally trained, as you say, has no current uh, vested interest in any kind of police work. But somehow... The police departments absorb him and then use his amazing skills. They tell him everything about the cases, even when he is the suspect. It's kind of remarkable how he infiltrates.
1: <laughs> you do have to, and I think often with a lot of fiction, you do have to slightly suspend belief at times in that, you know, the, the way he manages to yeah infiltrate these, you know, investigations or just the, you know, the coincidence of him coming across them. Um, but I, th- I think that's a bit of a payoff with fiction. You have mm. to. Um, I think as long as the author is kind of has you know, sort of acknowledges it to some degree. Um, and it's kind of just packed with I think between author and reader that look I'm gonna give you a good story and you you have to kind of make that little leap of faith every now and again. Um otherwise, you know, life is just dull and boring, isn't it? He just gets on a bus, gets off and does some sightseeing and that's it, you that's know. That's it.
0: Exactly. I'm willing to suspend all belief and <laughs> hang out with Richard. His adventures are remarkable. I just I I like being surprised by books. And I, you know, as a librarian, I think, well, I need to know all of the authors. I need to know what every author writes like so I can, you know, help people find their next read, which is literally impossible to read everything. Um, But when you mentioned Lee Child, I was like, oh, thank goodness, because there's like 400 Lee Child books and I have no idea where to start. I don't know if it's in series. Like, I just don't know enough about this author. I've never done any research. Thank you, Jane. (laughs) And you told me exactly where to start. And so in... As I mentioned earlier, as doing my due due, dili- due diligence, I read what you told me to—the first chapter—and then I just couldn't stop reading, mm. and I went from the first one to the second one. And look, I've borrowed the DVD of yeah. the film.
1: And I'm gonna have trouble with Tom Cruise being Jack Reacher. Do you have any advice? For oh, him? look, you can, you know, you can, once you um, once you come up to that dilemma, there's there's a whole forums on the internet. You can you can wade in there on Twitter. You can <laughs> you can you know now now you're kind of part of the discussion. You can voice your opinion, and you know, there'll be people um more than happy to go to chat to you about that. It's a, it's a as an ongoing controversial topic, isn't it? The yeah, the, the casting of um of Tom Cruise, and I think um. You know, I think the, the sticking point seems to be this the the, the physical differences between yes. Jack Reacher as a, a huge sort of blonde, tall giant of a man um, versus Tom Cruise, who we all know, you know, physically what, what he looks like. And, um, yeah, and I think that's just where the disconnect has been a little bit. And mm. I guess it depends on the individual reader whether they feel they can, you know, overlook that exactly. and just enjoy the movie for what they are. But Yeah. Um, like we said, though, the movie's never its never quite the same as the correct. book. Correct.
0: <laughs> You're absolutely correct. And there's that law that the book is always better. I think I'm going to make my way through all of the books. You would encourage that, wouldn't you? I
1: would, absolutely. Oh, well, I have, yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Excellent. I'm a new, new Lee Child fan. He didn't need a new one, but he's got one That's now. Right. Um, all righty. Let's have a look at the third book for your desert island. Could you please reveal the title and author for me?
1: So my um, third book is a an oldie but definitely a goodie. and that is The Witches by Roald Dahl. Um, I love that you chose this. <laughs> I just, you know, it's so funny because sometimes, as um, you get asked about my favourite books, and I and I quite regularly point to this one, and I've never had anybody who's not your clutch and said, "Oh my god, I love that book too." Mm-hmm. It it seems to be an absolute universal um, sort of cultural touch touch point for for everybody. Really, is. Mm. Um, yeah, growing up.
0: Well, certainly I certainly was born in the 70s. Uh, people who read in the 80s, read voraciously in the 80s through primary school. Um, so I brought in my childhood copy and you got your I. childhood
1: copy and they're identical. They are, yeah, and, and very well preserved, aren't they? Sort of yes. treasured. Oh, yes. Um, mine was actually um, a birthday present when I was seven, I I think, um, from when I can work out. And um, I have to say, though, it's it's fr- it's a funny book for me because I remember getting it and reading it and it absolutely scaring me to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, to the point where um, I actually, when I moved out of home, I actually... Um, left it at home for years. And then my mum my was cleaning out, you know, the house and kind of giving me boxes of stuff. And she sort of she said, oh, he, you know, here's your books. And I found the copy and it was almost like, oh, gosh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to have this back in my house. It still had such creepy memories for me.
0: Gosh, um, wow,
1: yeah, it read. I was actually, I think Seven was actually too young, to be honest. I think, I think it sort of um, scarred me a little bit. Um, but probably in a good way. And obviously still years later, I still remember it so well. Mm, it's another one of those... Truly creepy books where things happen that are completely
0: off the wall. Mm. But you do... As with all dull novels, and you know as kids do really naturally, it, you know you jump into magic realism without a problem as soon as
1: you're immersed into a rolled dull world. he sets it up for you from the very beginning and I think that was possibly what was scariest about it the fact that mm. it, it it seems so believable, you know this sort of idea that there is women who pass themselves off as you know normal um you know, normal everyday women and mm. and yet they've they've got these sort of um they're so dangerous and you and you, yes. the signs you're looking out for. And the the thing that, um, you know, struck me, I mean, years later, and I think a lot of people remember this bit, is the bit where the grandmother is telling the little boy the story about, you know, encounters she'd had, she's heard of with witches. And um, there's a, a little girl who was in her village who got turned into an oil painting. That's right. And, you know, she, she and every, every year she got older, feeding the chickens in the oil painting and moving around. I never saw her move, but her, her little oil painting image would, and, and that's, I'm sitting here now sort of <laughs> getting kind of chills because it's so creepy. It's just awful.
0: It truly is, isn't it? Being frozen but not in time but yeah. in place.
1: And even things like, uh, I mean, I reread it before, you know, before we, we met and I was actually struck still as an adult by how dark it is. Mm. I mean, it's, it's very, he absolutely pulls no punches. It's, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's um, children, I'd I'd be interested to know actually if children's books are still as dark as that now or if now it would be a little bit more, um, I don't know, sugar-coated.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm often told that David Walliams writes like Roald Dahl in terms of a reader like for for a similar age, that kind of eight, nine, ten-year-olds. But I don't know if he has that kind of dark fantasy at the heart Mm. of his books the same way that Dahl does, you know, even in something that's much lighter like um, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, there's still a heart mm. of darkness at the centre of that book. Even the BFG, who's a big, friendly giant, there's still lots of terrifying things that go on in that book. But this book, you know, essentially all women are potentially dangerous to children.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a pretty interesting premise. And I think the thing that sort of st- the reason why this book has sort of stayed with me for, for years and years it was probably the first one I'd ever read where um there was any hint of darkness and things mm. didn't all work out okay yes. you know it was I mean before that it'd probably be a lot of Ina Blyton and you know where actually you know again probably like Jack Reacher the good guy's triumph <laughs> and everything yeah all is right with the world by the final page but even you know in this book it's you know there are plenty of people who don't turn out all right I mean yeah. it, and they just don't and I think that was um Absolutely shocking to me at the time um, and something I'd never considered before. And I think that kind of, um, I guess that sort of unease really Mm -hmm. is something that still to this day, you know, you, you quite enjoy finding in books, something that just unsettles you a little bit and makes you kind of reconsider, you know, reconsider what you know, really. Yeah, it's that surprise. It's always a
0: brilliant thing to find in a book. Um, speaking of film adaptations, which we were much earlier, <laughs> uh, that's a good segue. Um, in 1990, they adapted it into a film, and I say vain inverted commas. Nicholas Rogue was the director. The film adaptation starred Angelica Houston and Rowan Atkinson. Um, and Dahl himself um, reviewed, the fu- review, <laughs> reviewed the film and said it was utterly appalling. Oh. And then he died the same year. So I was just wondering if you thought there was any coincidence. Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> He no, really died right of an appalling adaptation of the witches. Well, I have to say, I mean, I have seen the um, the movie, but probably not. Maybe, maybe not even since it came out. And 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 although I don't remember being appalled by it, <laughs> um, it actually doesn't have the resonance with me that the know yeah, that the book has. Not even slightly. Uh, so it again, turned... at the risk of repeating ourselves. Obviously, the book was <laughs> once again Lore. the superior medium for it by far.
0: Uh, <laughs> I think, if I remember correctly, and uh, from the research I did. The main character is turned into. This is a giant spoiler. Turned into a mouse. Oh, I
1: think it's, yeah. No, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler because it happens quite early on, actually. And But he
0: stays a mouse at the end of the book and he's kind of thrilled that his lifespan is cut short because it means that he and
1: his grandma can live out their days together. Do you know, I'm so glad you brought that bit up because that's actually one of the bits I was thinking of earlier when I said how dark it was. I'd completely forgotten that bit, but mm. you're right at the end. And, uh, yeah, again, I'm sorry for the, the spoiler, but I don't think it really spoiled her that much. But he, he, he and his grandmother are uh, discussing his situation mm-hmm. and she says, I think, you know, probably you're, you know, I, I'm so sorry, but I think your lifetime will only be eight or nine years. And he's absolutely fine with that because he thinks his grandma's probably only got eight or nine years and they can live out their days together. And that in itself, I mean, he's a, it, it's surprisingly cutthroat, really.
0: Totally. Um, in the film, he's turned back into a boy, which completely turns Dahl's idea and, you know, and his story, the story that he gave us was an essentially a dark story. But, you know, what, what, a beautiful thing to think about that that you know the closest person to you um, doesn't have to live without you or you couldn't live without them like it's a classic Romeo and Juliet really if mm. you think about it but um, but the idea the idea that he wanted to um, die at the same time as his grandma and that and that was quite comforting to him and so, as surprising as it is to us as readers certainly as adults but you know how how essential that was to what he wanted. Um, but, you know, the, the film just kind of sugarcoated that and turned him back into a boy and lived a happy and long life. Yeah,
1: I, can see, I, mean, I could imagine how that could be annoying to an author, actually, because I think also it kind of, um, it, it sort of dilutes one of, I think, the, the most... Um, confronting um, aspects of the book, which is the fact that some things can't be fixed. And I think, actually, if I had to pin it down, that's probably what I found most disturbing about it, the fact that, actually, these children who came in contact with these witches or, you know, made a mistake or it it wasn't – people didn't just come along and fix it for them. Actually, that was something they had to live with for the rest of their lives or not, you know, if they were an oil painting, you know. it's um, And I think that was actually, as a child, that is actually quite – uh, you know quite a confronting idea
0: i wonder how much children know though about death and you know darkness i wonder if it's they if they're just reading it as a as a sort of story but no you talked about how it stayed with you it stayed with I'm me
1: it absolutely i'm underestimating aren't i i think it it's it didn't have quite the same effect on me as as an adult but i could remember reading it i could remember how terrifying i found it it was you know i could i could still conjure up those those feelings even from the distance of you know 30 years really so
0: mm. and is there a young person in your life that you read to
1: there is I do I have a well not the witches um but <laughs> ever um but um yeah I do have a I have a little um girl she's only 17 months so she's um still on um, not quite at this, uh, <laughs> able to share my, my love of Jack Reacher just yet, but I, I hope one day, you know, we can bond over that. It's all literacy at this point. That's it. Mm, so what do you like to read aloud? Um, she likes books um, with a lot of repetition yeah. and things, like a lot of colours and and things where the the words match up quite closely with the pictures as well. So, you know, we've got like red fox running through a red wood, that kind of thing where yeah. I think she sort of can, can tra- well, I like to think she can see sort of a, connection between the words and what's happening in front of her but um who knows she likes to eat them as well so i
0: I think eating books and reading them at that age is correct i think that's that's correct developmental behavior i hope so yeah (laughs) i would say the librarian says yes (laughs) reading (laughs) and eating books is perfectly normal (laughs) Um, so these three books have obviously stayed with you um, over your lifetime. How much rereading do you do of them over certain times? are they comfort? books i guess we talked about jack reacher being a bit of a comfort
1: yeah i mean they, they are a bit i mean i think um i actually haven't read the witches for a long time i think again because it has sort of quite a negative uh, connotations for me but um gone girl i've certainly come back to um and although it, it's interesting it's it's one of those books I, I would love to read again for the first time mm. because you only really get that you, know, you get it once don't you and that's right um i do think rereading you, you though you get other things so you can appreciate a bit more the characterization and the the way the plot is played out because you can see things coming you can see how they're planted so I think actually as an author I do find that quite useful because mm. you can I guess once you know the the ending and you know how it's going to play out you can look a bit more at the structure of it and maybe from a bit more of a technical aspect yeah look for clues earlier and ha- yeah and how they sort of things are teased you know and. And how things that maybe happen earlier on are kind of brought in later and resolved, and that that kind of those kind of techniques are quite interesting. Mm.
0: It's definitely definitely done in Gone Girl, so those hidden secrets, but in Jack Reacher, it's a bit more explicit along the way, but it's still. It's still as compelling for, as mm. a reader to, to sometimes to know the secrets um, before they're revealed to so the rest of the characters is just as powerful as
1: kind of thinking, what is what is that secret? What How will that be revealed? What yeah. will the answer be? Well, apparently um, I've read Lee Child. He actually, when he starts writing a Jack Reach novel, he doesn't actually know where it's going to go. Right. Like he just writes, you know, he starts it and he just starts writing without really any firm plan. So um, I don't know how he does that. I, I can't even begin to imagine how that kind of all comes together, but obviously it works for him and, you know, works well for him. Yeah. So, yeah, it works very well <laughs> in my newly formed opinion. Right. Now you're an expert. You read <laughs> well, I sure am. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to know what you're reading now. Yeah, so now um, I'm actually just in the middle of um, The Power by Naomi Alderman, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a book about, it's kind of, a, I guess, a futuristic sci-fi type um, uh, book about um, a, a world where teenage girls suddenly develop this power to um, give sort of electric shocks of varying degrees. And it starts off just with a little bit of a, you know, they're not quite sure what's happened, but they, they, they end up being able to um, – really harness this to the point where the gender roles are essentially reversed because mm. actually these young women now have the physical power and um, it's sort of an exploration of some um, you know, how that changes dynamics really in, mm. in society. And where where are you when you're reading? Where do you like to be? So um, I tend to um, read in the evenings mostly. Um, like I try and um, I like to read before bed. I find it sort of a bit, a bit relaxing to, mm. you know, it's a good way to kind of you know, put your phone away and turn the TV off and just, just wind down. And, um, yeah, and I do find it quite a relaxing activity as well. Like I, I don't really, um, you know, it is just a good way for me to sort of, um, I guess, you know, take my mind off also what I've been doing that day. It takes you, like reading always it takes you into another another place, isn't it? Someone else yeah. starts thinking for you and you can just go along for the ride.
0: Yeah, it's thoroughly entertaining. <laughs> do you have a few books on the go at once and do you dip between them or are you just one at a time?
1: Um, is- oh, I, It's funny. I actually, before... Um, before I had my little one, I did used to have quite a few on the go, mm. um, and that was sort of more my kind of style of reading. Like I'd kind of dip in. That. It depends what I felt like, really, and mm-hmm. I could, I could, yeah, keep a few going at the time. Um, now I find um, I have like so much less time to read. Now I do tend to kind of just go for one at a time, really.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but I think, yeah, my natural, yeah, my natural sort of leaning is more towards kind of having a few, and and yeah, see what you feel like at any given time as well.
0: Yeah. And do you stay up way
1: past your bedtime to finish books? Um, I, I again, I used to. Yeah. Now I don't because I have a a baby sized alarm clock. <laughs> it Wakes me up regardless of of what time I've sort of uh put the book down. I know that's I know that alarm clock is going off. So, so I try to be quite disciplined with it. Um, also I have to be because I'm so tired. Yeah, yeah of course. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I found myself arriving at work yesterday, oh, with 24 pages of a Jack Reacher to go. Mm. And I oh, f- <laughs> like shaking my fist at the world. Yeah. Damn tram, why couldn't you go slower? You're so slow always. Why couldn't you just a couple stops more? Um, And I found myself spending the entire day wondering about what was going to happen next, although I probably could have guessed it. But like I'd still found myself quite immersed in books. Um, How do you find having to put a book down because it's bedtime or because Mm. there's an interruption of some kind and you're kind of stuck
1: in that world? Do you find yourself imagining and daydreaming. And About what's going to happen, yeah. absolutely. And I, I actually used to read on a tram a lot as well. When I used to commute in and out of the city, I w- that was like a really great sort of reading opportunity I found. And, yeah, um, yeah got a lot, got through a lot of books that way, actually. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think – and I think there's something – it's interesting isn't it when you sort of forced to stop not too far from the end because on one hand like, like I love it when you kind of in the moment you can just kind of power through and get through to the end but then there's something also quite I don't know sort of quite nice about sort of savoring it for just a little bit longer because you know once you get to the end it's yeah it's done isn't it whereas you just kind of delay that a little bit and think about it and try and work out what you think is going to happen and um yeah but I'm, I, I'm glad you feel that way about the the Jack Reacher like I think um, I think he's a real master of that, like keeping, mm. you know, just that one page more, one page more kind of feeling. Yeah, um, and I think that's something. Like certainly when I'm writing, I try and um, I try and sort of consciously think like, how do you you know, how can you sort of leave it so people think, oh, I'll just read one one chapter more, just a little bit more before I turn the light out?
0: Mm. Well, I I thought Force of Nature was brilliant in that way with the shifting of the timelines. That's what had me utterly gripped and having to read the next chapter because I was getting closer. Every time I oh, read it, um, I felt like I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, just one more. And so I'm reading the past and I'm reading the future and I'm reading the past and the future and <laughs> suddenly it becomes the present. And then, oh, what's? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And I just found
1: that that, that pacing just wow, it was brilliant.
0: Oh, thank it was you, really uh, brilliant.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't. I have to say, it wasn't. Um, that I was cursed in the two timelines uh, like halfway <laughs> through when I was, as you yeah, committed to them. Uh, there was no turning back. But it, it was um, getting that back and forth in that book was like it took a lot of planning. Like I had to really sit down and like think about exactly what you can you know, what you can reveal at what time and how to kind of best play them off. So, you know, hopefully, yeah, it does drive the story forward without, you know, being confusing or, or making the feel the reader feel at all lost in it.
0: Oh, I was gripped. That was another book that I sh- had arrived at work a few... I don't know how I... Get off at the right stop every day. To be perfectly honest, but um, Force of Nature was a book that I was fo- literally forced to f- uh, put a bookmark in right before the ending of it, and it was another book that I spent all day thinking, "Well, she's alone in the forest. I need to. I need to get back to her. Like she needs me to." F- find out what happened like this is important now how do I I know I work in a library but how do I convince somebody that I need a reading break <laughs> <Is> like, it? <laughs> it's actually, we don't sit around and read books all day oh. curses to that idea I wish we did truly um and how will you choose what to read next
1: well, um, I actually, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm here on the library podcast, but I do actually take a lot of guidance from the libraries. Like, I quite like the, um, I think the hot pick section is a is a great starting point, and yeah, um, yeah and I think you know really has um, a really good selection of kind of like the best new stuff in there, and so I do I do tend to kind of browse that section quite a lot, and um, and um, sometimes. Um, you know, I like I, I think I would like to kind of mix things up a bit as well. So so the, the power, which I mentioned I was reading before, is is, you know, I guess quite sort of a literary, you know, um, you know, sort of high concept ideas novel. So I might, you know, who knows, I might go back to like a Lee Child or something a little bit, you know, lighter and a bit more sort of actiony, fast paced, um, just to just to kind of have a bit of variety, I think.
0: Yeah, I think variety in reading is a really important thing. And you've done that for me by introducing me to an author that I thought I probably wouldn't like. So I think it's important to be kind of pushed well out of our comfort zones when we're yeah. reading sometimes. And it's I, okay not to like something, but it's not okay to like, to dislike it if you haven't tried to read it.
1: I think, I I agree. And I also think um, there's... Excellent writing in every genre, you know. Mm. So I don't. I think it's quite closed-minded to say, you know, I don't like literary fiction, or I'm not into sci-fi, or because I think there's excellence in in all of them. And I think you know a lot of things people respond to can be found across the range. So you know, it's it's about the the characters and their development and their relationships and the challenges they come across. And I think to to sort of to deny yourself um, a whole, you know, kind of range of books just because you feel like you maybe tried them but haven't quite you know got into them um i think you know, it is good to kind of read outside of your comfort zone, and you know, you never know what you're going to discover.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else you want to recommend to me? Because I will read anything you tell um,
1: me now. Oh, look, you might have already read this one. I think almost, it's only been out a few weeks, but The Woman in the Window by AJ Finn. Oh, have you yes, read that one? Not yet, no. Okay, so that's like just sort of brand new. It came out maybe two or three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and it's a, um, a psychological thriller about a woman who is. Um, who is housebound for various reasons and, and, and sees something through um you know, through her window that she believes has happened to her neighbour and and um it's very look it's very rear window, it's very sort of Hitchcock in its kind of style. Mm. And and the the author does sort of draw on that a lot. Like um he, he sort of, you know, pays tribute to that in a lot of ways. Um but it's absolutely it's an absolute page you'll be you'll be missing a stop on a tram for it. Ah, so you'll again. you'll race through it. <laughs> um, so yeah, The Woman in the Window by A. J. Finn, that's my kind of current kind of new read recommendation.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Jane. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me join you on your desert island.
1: Oh, thank you for thank you for inviting me and discussing these great books with me. Oh, my
0: pleasure. <laughs> we should do this again. <laughs> You can read this episode's show notes, including a list of all the books we've discussed on our Goodreads page. You can find a link to that on our website at www.melbournelibrarieservice.com.au. Just look for the read page. I would also love to hear about your Desert Island books. Tweet at Melbourne Library with the hashtag Desert Island Books. And don't forget you can subscribe and download episodes at iTunes by searching for Melbourne Library Service. While you're there, you can always leave a review. Tell us what you're thinking of the podcast. It'll help other people find out about it, and it's just a really nice thing to do it'll make me feel like a good person happy reading thanks for joining us